if you exit this whole experience doing more or less business as usual, right, you will have made a grave, grave mistake. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Let me just bring my friend in, Mark, up here. Welcome, and share a little bit about yourself. Well, you're you're right. I mean, uh, uh, I I have uh, I've been around long enough and done these things long enough where I've seen several major crisis points. Uh, 2008 obviously is one of them. But I so I I grew up and started my career in Texas in the middle of the oil bust, and then I went through the the 992000.com thing as well, right? And so each of these has different kind of they have some things in common. They're also very different from each other. But the the one thing that they all have in common is that there's a lot of human suffering um, attached to them. And they're all very complicated. And so finding a, a solution is really a matter of balancing a whole bunch of things and, and understanding the overall network effect that you're dealing with. Because if you don't understand it, in striving to make one thing better or easier for people, you can accidentally make other things worse. And and that is, that's a big lesson I learned. I hear you, man. So, so first of all, you are coming in from Arizona right now. And we, uh, we have people from, oh my God, from all over the place, definitely from Atlanta. We got Steve back, uh, who's from Canada, great friend, Texas, Andy from Texas. We got Michael. Michael, where are you from? Let me know where you guys are from. So this is a lot of folks coming in. I want you guys to put in questions because Mark, one, he has been CMO at really large organizations with complex modeling, complex structures, and ability to figure out how to have these conversations at an executive level. Right now, Mark, almost everywhere I'm hearing this, and I'm, I'm sure you're hearing, um, hearing it as well, which is budgets are getting cut. People are getting cut. Numbers are uh, marketing is budget is now considered as like, oh, that's the money that we can cut. That's the first place people go and cut. Um, right. The, sl- the slush fund. The, the slush, slush fund. fund. Right. And right, yeah. you have been talking about this idea of mixed modeling. You've been talking about this idea as marketing is a growth multiplier. So dive into it. Like, what is it that marketers should be doing right now to get ahead of it if they still haven't hit it or just get smart about it? Yeah. So I think that if your CFO is already having this conversation with you about, hey, where's my 30%, you know, cut, that kind of thing, you you may be in a situation uh, in, in realistic terms where you're going to have to absorb the cut in some way. At the same time, you need to be starting to really think about marketing mix modeling and an automated regression analytics, right? This this is going to be your GPS going forward. It's not just about proving your value. And trust me, you're generating a lot of value. Marketing is one of those things where the analytics show again and again that $1 spent simultaneously 
creates return on investment in many different directions, not just on sales. Yeah. So a big part of what the what the C-suite is trying to figure out in this whole thing, and it's not just limited to marketing, is if we cut in, and we'll stick with marketing, if we cut in marketing, mm. what are we going to lose? What are we going to lose that we will regret later, right? And mm. that has to be balanced against, I've got to make a number right now, right? So if you talk to a lot of CFOs, particularly CFOs that are kind of in their mid 40s to mid 50s, kind of in that zone, uh, yeah. which is right now about half of the Fortune 1000 uh, or in that category. We are no longer seeing any indication at all that they see marketing as a as an unproven slush fund that they can just mm -hmm. raid at the drop of a hat. They they see marketing's multiplier value. And so now the conversation really is how are we going to cut? How are we going to cut strategically? How are we going to make sure that we don't create bigger problems for ourselves later on? And so this is where the net, understanding the network effect, yeah, using using regression to do that is is so important. For for those of you who who may not be familiar with regression or its marketing equivalent, which is marketing mixed modeling, this is exactly the same math that's used to undergird any area of scientific inquiry, right? Scientific method itself is rooted in regression, particularly in the physical sciences, but also in the social sciences. When we look at, uh, when, when you look at cause and effect analysis in climate change, or for that matter, the spread of pandemics, right? Um, that is all regression. So historically, I mean, this has been around a while. Regression math has been around for a long time. Um, marketing mixed modeling in its traditional form has been around for about 25 years or so in the Fortune 500. It has always been seen as very, very accurate and very usable, but yeah. it had three big operational problems that kept it from scaling into more and more and more companies. One is it's very expensive. So at Honeywell, I was spending four to five million dollars a year just on MMM. Wow. Uh, it it is difficult to scale because it's very talent. It demands a lot of talent. And the third one is it takes a long time to get the results. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of times you lose, it's so late getting the results that you lose the opportunity to kind of change your future. By automating auto regression and automated mixed modeling, uh, we have completely put a nail through those problems. And so, uh, mm -hmm. That's what proof is today, right? It's an automated GPS. I love the automated GPS part. Now, um, I got a question here from Michael. He is asking that why are marketers not accountable to drive NNMP? Uh, this is the first time I'm hearing NNMP. I don't know if you have heard before, which is net new prospect meeting. Uh, so prospects are available more than ever due to uh, work from home. So why are marketers not accountable for driving uh, more prospect meetings uh, is Michael's question. Uh, I uh, man, every time I've been a CMO or earlier in my career when I had you know reporting into CMOs and CCOs, I I definitely was accountable for that kind of stuff. But, but uh, is it isn't it true though? Right now, like I, I'm getting two types of things, and you know, uh, um, I think yesterday or Monday when I was uh, interviewing Daniel Pink, I was asking him the same question, just from a from a leadership perspective across the board. Is it look 
there are two kinds of theories right now. One is, oh, everybody, everybody is, you know, in a, in a, almost in shock and trying to figure things out and getting themselves out of there. So be empathetic. Be, you know, we even ourselves call helping is the new, new selling and let's just do that. And then there are salespeople who are going to lose their jobs uh, because they're not going to hit their quota. And while marketing now, and as a marketer, so I'm very, very empathetic to marketing, but marketers get the way, okay, your budget is cut. Just keep doing what you're doing. Run those nurture campaigns, run those messaging things. We're just going to kind of just slow roll this thing. So challenges, sales is the one who's going to actually hit the hardest in this yes. model. No, because that's, that's they true. have to produce. So, so I, I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to Michael's question is like, should marketers now to reframe some of their question? If you're okay with that, Michael, is is like should marketers have a revenue goal as part of their metric so that they can figure out all the leading indicators to get there and and not get a pass right now? So I'm going to answer the question this way, and I think it's the right answer, but I'm I'm uh, I'm certainly open to a conversation about it. So in some companies, I mean e-commerce companies, for example, right? Marketing is sales. It, it's a, there's a direct line between marketing and revenue generation. Right, right. If we're talking about enterprise B2B type companies, right? Uh, marketing is really a multiplier of the performance of sales or any other area of the company that's relevant, right? So recruiting and retention would be another one. Um, and so the, the real question is, it's not should marketing have a revenue goal? Mm. it's what is marketing's multiplier goal? So if we just say, if we, if we agree here, right, that marketing's mission is to help sales sell more product to more people faster and more profitably than sales could do by itself, mm. okay, that's the key, right? So say, without marketing, sales is going to achieve some number. Right. It's going to do a certain amount of revenue that's going to produce a certain amount of profitability and it's going to be a certain amount of cash flow that results from kind of average time to close. Right. The average sales velocity. Marketing is there to improve all three by one or more orders of magnitude. That's the way I look at it. Right. So. So. So this is really about and, and this is what we did at Honeywell. We were able to show. Uh, uh, our magnifier effect on sales, right? We were making it, we were, we were teeing up more deals, bigger deals and faster deals for say, yeah. for the benefit of sales. So we were not, we were not in a revenue competition with sales at all, right? We were saying we are here to serve you. We are not in a subordinate, you know, kind of way, yeah. right? Yeah, not, but, not like an order taker of saying here's right. the five things you need to do. <laughs> right, more, right. Uh, we're, we're here to we're here to help. Uh, yeah. Our mission is to make you more effective, not less effective. So, so th- this brings a good question, also from Robert, uh, who's the senior vice president of marketing. He said, "Marketing isn't a, isn't a department of department or cost center to turn on or off." But unfortunately, we all know that it, it unless your CEO gets it, unless you as a CMO has that relationship, and unless you're setting the right expectations, it is a turn on and off switch. Like that just the 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 way it works. But 
I agree with Robert over here. It says it drives the voice and momentum of the company and growth and revenue. Attribution drives ROI. In in many ways, I wonder to address to that specific point. I wonder if if now is the best time to be in marketing and create a brand voice, create a customer voice, create a demand voice than ever before because. Right now, everybody's looking for like, well, what do you really stand for? And why should I even do business with you? And that's not something sales or product or anything. That's actually the job of marketing to come in and do. So I wonder, yeah. like, if this is actually, if you really look at it from the, um, like you and I are like eternally optimistic views of folk, is like, is this the time for you to actually, your brand, to actually have a true brand voice that only you can actually help and bring it into life? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that we are, um, uh, in the sense that it was obviously necessary. We are we are rediscovering brand, right? Yeah. Um, uh, several years ago, I did a a keynote at South by Southwest, and it was called Gears in Greece, and it was about the relationship between brand marketing and performance marketing. Performance marketing be, being the gears, right, and brand being the grease. And we, I think. For the longest time, we've had a an incorrect understanding of what brand power really was. Right? Um, if if uh, if you're if I'm asking you to make a spontaneous ten dollar purchase with no risk attached to it, really, right? Mm. Brand is awareness. Yeah. Right. Okay. But as the cost and the risk of the buy decision go up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And up Awareness is almost nothing of it, right? Really, right? The, the, the big components of brand are confidence and trust. Yes. Right? These are the things that drive bigger deals, confidence, and trust is highly correlated to faster time to close, right? So yeah. these, are the, these are the issues that really matter, right? And so I, that's, yeah. Man, I'm sorry to reject that. I mean, you just hit on something that I feel is so fundamental. I was listening to an interview of um, of Michael Hyatt, uh, who does a lot of uh, leadership uh, talks, um, and he was a CEO of of a publishing house. Took them to like three, four hundred million. He was talking about this. He was interviewing someone. I forgot the name of the person, but he said, "Look, if your messaging until now was all about winning." And all about like we are great, or what about look how awesome our, our products are? It worked. It almost like you know the the photos of people on the beach and saying that I'm sure. in person, right? So it worked yeah. in that time right now, and that's why I think you just hit. So sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like you hit on something that I don't want people to miss. You hit on the exact words of what what this guy said. Who is a who is whose job is to help help political people with their messaging and brand messaging and all this stuff. And he said, right now, your message needs to be in one of these three things. And one of them, I'm trying to go back to that specific word, but one of that has to be trust. So you hit hit really like, can you show that you're what you whatever you're doing, you are a trustworthy person, your trustworthy company. Not trust. Number two is safety. And safety doesn't necessarily mean that you need to physically keep me safe. Safety just means that, you know, I can I can trust you that you're going to deliver on this so that my job is safe. Like, you know, safety is also means certainty. 
in many ways. Can you be certain about the results that you're going to provide me internally and externally? So those were two. And the third one was like, are you here for me? Right. That oh, has totally. been like the three big ideas that he said, like right now, if you're marketing or brand messaging, he's talking in terms of political terms, but I feel like it's true for everything right now. So you hit on something that I feel everybody in sales, marketing or anything is like, are you building trust? And right now it's not in, can you build trust or is that important? It is absolutely critical, like top three on your list. I'm, I'm curious to, to just double, to just dig into that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the, so there's actually some great psychographic research that's been going on now for more than a decade uh, around the way that people make decisions, right? Yeah. Under stress. Princeton started it. It's it's now kind of like everywhere. And I, I, I kind of became a, a little bit of a connoisseur of this research. You know, it, it boils down to, and they, it's interesting because they don't talk about it in terms of brand, right? Because they're taking a very academic decision-making kind of take on it. But awareness, confidence, and trust it is brand. I think we, all of us as marketers understand that that is a excellent definition of brand. They are, you know, confidence. We use confidence and trust interchangeably a lot in our daily lives, but they're actually very, very different. Confidence is, I believe that you can do what you say you can do, mm. right? Meaning you're awesome at your job, right? But you can be awesome at your job and be an utterly untrustworthy person. Yeah. Right? And you can also be completely trustworthy and completely incompetent. Yes. Right? And so these are, these are key issues, right? Trust being is defined really as, when you have power over me and our uh, interests no longer align, I believe or I don't believe um, that you won't screw me. That's trust. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so I think that you know, particularly in our area, you know, around analytics, this is about this is about as close to the nub as it gets in terms of confidence and trust issues. Right. I mean, people want to know that you actually know what the hell you're doing. Um, with this, because it is a science. And they also, they're afraid, at least initially, right? Like, so particularly in the middle of COVID, you know, and all this kind of stuff, what if it shows that what I've been doing hasn't been working, right? Mm -hmm. And what if I lose my job and things like that? So what I can tell you and what I say a lot is marketers have actually done an amazing job intuiting what works. Mm -hmm. Right. So will you find certain things in your portfolio that don't work? Yeah, you will. OK, that's called learning. That's just learning. And honestly, I'd rather know that than not know that. But most of what you are going to see is incredible validation. And then it will be about choices that you make as part of your strategy to emphasize one thing over another thing. Right. And so there is there is this fear, but it actually is one of those things where it um, it kind of morphs very quickly uh, into something very positive. I will say this, and th this is another key point here around this, don't waste a good crisis. Oh, okay? yeah. Right? Okay. Don't, yes. if, you, if you exit this whole experience doing more or less business as usual, right, you will have made a grave, grave mistake. And so, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and here's the bottom line, right? Everybody knows that science and math 
matter more than ever before. If we're going to deal with climate change, if we're going to deal, deal with pandemics, if we're going to deal with all this other kind of stuff that confront our world, that is at the nexus of it, right? And it is an iterative effect, which is why some people get really frustrated and they'll, they'll point to all the different mathematical models around COVID and what's right and what's this is science. This is learning. We are learning in real time, right? You're going to be doing the same thing if you implement marketing mix modeling um, as, a, as a marketer, right? Yeah. I will also tell you that as a CEO, right? Now, as a former CMO, and most of us here are marketers, the reality is, is that we all believe, right? We all believe. Yeah. But if I, if I have to step away from that and I just put on my CEO hat, I'm going to say what every other C-suite member has been saying to you, and that is prove it. Yeah. And, the and the reason for that is, is that they have a certain amount of money that they can spend. It was more 60 days ago than it is today, right? And they have lots of different parts of the company clamoring for that money. Yeah. And some of those are making excellent business cases mm. for that investment. And it is seen as an investment deal. So let's just be really super clear on this. If you talk to your C-suite, they see your money request, your budget request as an investment deal. They yeah. want to know that they're getting something back. And they want to know how long it's going to take for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and so if other parts of the company are beating your pants off in the business case and in the analytics piece, they're going to they're gonna say, hey, they're going to say what Mark heard at, uh, at HP said to me 16 years ago. He said, Mark, I totally believe. He said, I'm a customer-facing CEO. I talk to him. I have more anecdotes about the effectiveness of great marketing and communications than you do. But I'm not going to go into the board and, and cash in my political chits with the board to get you more budget. When you give me nothing to mm. show them, right? There's no proof. There's just how I believe. Yeah. Now you can't you, operate like that. It's time that it's time to put uh, a bullet in the head of the, of that particular thought, right? Yeah. You know, it's because you have been a CMO of very successful companies in your role, and now you're a CEO. I think your perspective around that is worthwhile for everybody. Uh, to listen in. So some of it is uh, really interesting. Now I'm looking at like Robert who's saying trust over abilities is the long run. Steve loves the awareness, confidence, and trust is is brand. Like that phrase is pretty good. Awareness is confidence and trust is brand. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> Hannah is talking. Um, Hence is talking about like learning is really truly in real time is truly connecting with your CFO. One of the questions I saw a second ago over here was where where did that go um, by, by the way while you're doing that thing room i'll observe something that the academics never have ever codified that i've ever seen and that is they talk about the three legs of awareness confidence and trust yeah but they have they've totally ignored the fact that the acronym is act yeah well and, and, okay. and then actually those two those three things together is what it takes to act Okay. Well, here are two things. One, somebody said, hey, how, how, how am I interacting uh, while the live stream is going on? So I have somebody on my team 
Amy, because what I've seen is like a lot of times people have real time questions. So I have her like, hey, just go in and just respond to some of the people real time. So that's what you guys are seeing, just being totally upfront and honest uh, about that, uh, because I, I get responses later on and I never followed up on it. And I don't want to do that, especially when we're doing talks. Amy, thank you. And Amanda, thanks for that question uh, for asking. Uh, one of the things that I just saw is like, well, should organizations be, and I forgot who, who put that in there because I'm just, the, I mean, there's obviously super active stream right now, is around like, should your organization be product-led or marketing-led or sales-led? Because in some way, shape, or form, that's how your organizations are. And, and I wonder, I wonder if it is because of how CEO operates and if they come from a sales background, then, you know, it, like sales is like super important for them. If they're product-led, then product. But I'm curious, one, is that even the right question? Should your organization be product-led or sales-led or marketing-led? And then depending on whatever your response is, I also want to dig in a little bit on like, is that a bad thing? So I think that organizationally, right, people need to feel like that they that there's someone kind of leading, right? So I I I, I get that part, right? Um, I will tell you though that the analytics uh, very clearly would say that when when we when we run analytics on the network effect and. What you're what you're talking about there in this particular case is the network effect inside of a company, but also in the way that that interacts with the outside. Um, yeah. Depending on what it is that we're talking about, the leadership changes. Mm. Now, you would say, well, no, duh. Right. I mean, if it's a if it's a product question, then obviously the product people are more expert and all this kind of stuff. Right. But this is where. The idea that there is a single man or woman on horseback, right, that that sort of is going to lead us out of the desert and is worth disproportionately, you know, more money than any, anybody else. The analytics just don't support this idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you have if you have built a great team, it's the team and it's the team's ability to shift and morph around based upon the nature of the question right? Or the problem that's being faced. So I'll give you a really extreme example. Most mm -hmm. of us have worked in organizations that had a VP of comms, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and on a kind of a day in and day out basis, uh, this person it, it typically doesn't have a major seat at the table, right? Right. They're, they're not driving policy most of the time. They are kind of a very senior level implementer and communicator of other people's policy decisions. Yeah. However, if all of a sudden there's a crisis, right? Who all of a sudden has drinks with the CEO every night? It's the head of comms, right? Yes. Okay, it's all, it's that. And that's what I'm talking about, right? And then as soon as the crisis is over, it kind of reverts back to the status quo ante, right? And the, and the comms leader is kind of like, Hey, what happened? I thought I was cool. And now I'm not cool anymore. Right. Part of that is there's a lot of reasons for that. But part of it is that the organization naturally shifted to a to, to deal with this problem. And that put him or her up front. And then it yep. shifted again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that, that's a, such a good point. I think this is, you know, as we close into this is like this is such an interesting point. I feel like a lot of people 
go through this and I've gone through it myself of like, well, I'm important right now. I was, but I'm not anymore. And I'm not in the meeting that people are now having. What, what is that about? Because I was supposed to be buddies with this person. And we misinterpret that with the priorities that the organization. Totally, totally. And, and I will tell you, it's somebody who's, who has been in way too many meetings. I've spent way too much of my life in meetings. Okay. And, and, and earlier in my career fighting for a seat in certain meetings and stuff like that, um, you want to talk about a misplaced priority, right? I mean, the, the, the number, the number of meetings that actually mean anything is so small, right? That they're just not worth, I mean, I actually, I've learned to opt out of meetings. I only go to the meetings that I, where I am absolutely necessary. Yeah, that, that, that is a sign of good leadership. And I think it comes with experience and time and wisdom. And, and it's, you know, there's, there's really more importance to that. Um, again, as, as we close on, I'm going to share a couple of big ideas and then for you to share a big challenge with everybody. Um, and a quick reminder, there's a link there for the upcoming LinkedIn Lives that we're going to have. Um, we're doing Monday and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. So we just show up and we just talk. So all these questions that are mostly marketing sales focused. And then the other day, I'm trying to do at least one a week um, on leadership because I think we are, we are right in the middle of all of it. So, so next week is uh, on culture of how to create a culture of greatness. So it should be cool. So big idea for me, man, I love, the, I, I love your talk around marketing being a growth multiplier. So if you're an organization, you're marketing and sales, like look at marketing as a growth organization, not to cut it because... Please, like that's not the way. A lot of times that is absolutely the wrong way. Right now, this might be the best time for you to invest in your brand because that's what people are going to follow later on. So figure out what you stand for out there. And you talked about the network effect. And I really love that as a concept. So reach out to Mark Seuss. He's pretty active on LinkedIn. He'll respond later on to some of these questions and comments uh, very thoughtfully. Uh, he has been a CMO who is a CEO of running a really awesome company, Proof Analytics. And I love the fact that he brings the idea of art and science to, to this whole idea of marketing, but brings it in a way where you can actually quantify it and talk about it and get value out of your CEO and understand your CFO and CEO will understand you. The belief is not enough. Um, in this case, you have to come back with some proof. So those are like... I'll just add this real fast. It also, the numbers liberate creativity. They don't limit it, right? Wow, numbers um, liberate, not limit. The, 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 way to, the way to actually look at analytics is not as a judge in black robes. Uh, it is a coach and a bodyguard. I love that. That's really what it is. Yeah. I love that. All right, what is the number one challenge you want to give everybody as people sign up? I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, bottoms up planning and budgeting. I think that that this is a time for you to question everything that you've ever done, right? Mm-hmm. Not because you necessarily think that it's bad, but I think that that not wasting a good crisis and you want to be seen really evaluating things uh, deeply, you're going to yeah. need analytics to do that. Data alone will not suffice. It's really important, but you literally can't get there just with the data, right? The data is static. It's not dynamic. It's not relational. It's not cause and effect, right? So, so that's a, that's really, really important. So this is really kind of like bottoms up and tops down. I think you also have to really start saying to yourself, 
I'm going to be a business leader who happens to specialize in marketing. Mm -hmm. And that is a powerful shift in thinking because all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, would I really spend money that way? In other words, here's a brand new channel that's just erupted and, and everyone says it's hot. And, and do I want to spend money there just so I can say that I'm part of that, right? That I'm mm -hmm. cool, that I'm hip, that I'm on the cusp, right? Or, or that I'm creative, right? Or is this really about what's good for the business? Is my ultimate creativity the multiplier that I bring to the business? I, I mean, I at Honeywell, that. I made a lot of money personally, okay, taking that approach, right? And I negotiated a deal where my base salary was a lot lower than it normally would have been, and my variable comp was a lot higher, um, and it was all tied to the analytics, right? And I, I think that that is a metaphor of sorts, right, for the huge opportunity that lies in front of marketing because the issue is not does marketing deliver value yeah. that is not the issue okay the issue is what my late father used to call a high class problem and that is proving the value that exists and that and that is here and now that this is not future uh, you don't have to wait a year for this it's live it's real it's it's here that love dude love this dude that just so you know this is probably the highest engaged linkedin live i've done in the morning so far so you have some <laughs> real fingers there that was pretty good i want to personally thank you man because i know it's arizona time it's like five you, know, you woke up at five to kind of get this thing going so really appreciate your time and insights um love this i'm gonna put all of these later on into some sort of repository because there's just so much great content in it. Uh, but again, please reach out to Mark Stews um, on LinkedIn. And he, he's, he's a pretty gracious guy and he would definitely help you out. So Mark, thank you so much, man. And God bless you. Hey, thanks, Langram. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.